Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining me on the uh, the Legacy Pod. Um, I appreciate you taking some time out. My pleasure. My pleasure. My first time visiting Qatar. <laughs> so listen, let's just dive right in. Um, I've been gorging and fascinated by your content for a while. How did you come to be doing something like Best Hour of the Day and, and giving back so much to the community? I think most cool projects, CrossFit being one of them, like the home office, you know, when Coach Glassman founded it, all stem from A, a passion in something, you know, B, probably a little bit of crazy, you know, and C, just some sort of entrepreneurial desire. So I think for me, best hour of the day kind of came from all of those, you know, it was about giving back. We enjoy talking about CrossFit, specifically coaching. Yep. And we, we, you know, I think we started kind of with the end in mind. I don't know if you're familiar with the Stephen Covey book, The Seven Habits, but he has a chapter in there about, you know, begin with the end in mind. We kind of did. It was like, hey, we want to put this podcast out there. We're going to just pump out content. We're going to, you know, keep talking about what we're good at. And, and then hopefully something will come from it, you know, a a project, a business. We knew we wanted to do something. It took nearly two years. You know, people, that's what people also don't get. They're like, I want to put a podcast. I'm only getting five listeners. Yeah. That's how it starts. Exactly. You know, and, and one thing I've really learned through the podcast is you don't need tens of thousands or millions. We probably get about 3000 downloads per episode, but man, those people listen every episode. They, you know, like you they reach out to us and you know we were able to create a really successful business off the back end of that so you know these people that are chasing hundreds of thousands of people i would say you're doing it wrong find your niche focus on that take good care of those people and and they will support you and if you do it for the wrong reasons anyway you're never going to be a success no matter whether it's a podcast or a gym or, or anything, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, if we would have started that podcast and said, okay, you know, we want to, you know, either attract a billion people or we're going to try to, on day one, push a business out there, I think we would have failed. Yeah. But we really went in there. We're like, let's just give back. Let's just talk. Let's provide content. Do something meaningful and unique. There wasn't any, and I don't believe there really is still anything kind of doing what we're doing. You know, there's other podcasts in the in the universe of CrossFit and even coaching, but I don't think quite with the dedication and the really uniqueness of what we do where we dive pretty deep into the art of coaching. Especially in a world where people are desperate to not be offended or to not offend people. Not that you guys offend, but you give some real talk, you give some tough love. And you tell it like it is for, you know, for people who maybe aren't fulfilling their potential. It's probably the nicest way to put it. Yeah, we definitely offend people. I, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was coaching the other day at the box and one of the girls was joking, hey, my roommate doesn't come in because, you know, she doesn't like you. And I was like, it's a matter of time. If someone is around me long enough, it's a matter of time till I offend them and, you know, get them angry. And she was joking. Yeah. But yeah, the same holds true with the podcast where, you know, I think part of that stems from the fact that neither Fern nor myself are easily offended. You can, and, and you hear it between us, we goof on each other, 
Yep. And and that's kind of, you know, we're both kind of children of the 80s and 90s. And I think, I know how old you are. I'm 42. But I'm two years behind you. Two years behind you, man. You're 40. That, you know, the world was a tougher place in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. You know, your friends picked on you. You got bullied. I mean, I don't condone bullying, obviously. And I'm not saying it was, you know, real bullying. But I mean, I grew up in the wrestling room. Okay. And your best friends were your worst enemies. And so I think it stems from we're not easily offended. And we're also, I think you're not offending people or you're not trying to, at least when you're offering solutions. Yep. So we may be telling you what you're bad at or where you need to go and what you need to do. But we're also the same people that are there saying, hey, reach out when you need it. Yep. And when it, when it started, um, you, you know, you obviously mentioned your loyal following there um did you go into it with that that sort of mindset of if we help one box owner if we help one person then it's worth it yeah that's really what we i mean like i said we get our biggest episodes may get five thousand. you know when we had chuck carswell back when we had coach glassman on we got some pretty good downloads but at first it was like, man, we had 50, like 50 people listened to this. And it was a hundred. I remember specifically when we hit 500, I was like that we did it. Like yep. we've nailed it. We've gotten it. And and like I said, more, more so to me than the, how many downloads we get per episode. It's, I really love when primarily Instagram, you know, I think that's kind of the, the main way we promote it and the main way people find out about it. But I love when people share one of our posts or write back that yep. what something you said helped them. That's yep. really like you said, whether it's, it's rarely one person anymore in a good way, but yeah, even if it was only one person, because when I started CrossFit in 2006 and started coaching in 2007, it was the same thing for me. It just wasn't podcasts. It was a CrossFit forum yeah. where somebody would reach out and say, Hey, I saw you open a gym in upstate New York. You know, how can we help? So we're just, we're just paying it forward. You've obviously been around the block in terms of CrossFit. Um, what was it like just right at the beginning before it really exploded? It was different in the fact that you were getting more of the same type of people. So back then you were getting primarily former athletes or even current athletes looking to take it to the next level or military. We had a lot of military guys, Yep. you know, which, you know, coincidentally, when I opened, I pretty much opened with middle-aged women because I was a trainer. Okay. And I took all my clients and said, Hey, we're doing this CrossFit thing. Now we're not working one-on-one. You can come to the 9am or you can come to the noon. So I think for me that, changed quickly in the fact that it was more welcoming to all, all, all demographics. But at first it was, you know, the people that were stumbling in were, oh, I heard about this CrossFit thing and I'm bored at the gym and I used to be a, you know, collegiate baseball yeah. player. So you were getting just more of those people. And then eventually that started to open up and, you know, people would come in and see Donna, a 70 year old woman, you know, deadlifting a hundred pounds and be like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. So we, we, we really expanded the, our reach pretty quickly because of that. Did you have any sense at the time that it was going to become what it became? Absolutely not. Yeah. 
Absolutely not. It was, it truly, so in 2007, when I opened, I was seven years out of college. I had gotten a master's degree in psychology. I had only been in this fitness world because it was like, I don't, I'm just prolonging getting a real job. It's like, I don't want to get a real job, which was probably going to be a teacher. That's what, you know, that's why I finished my master's degree in the States. And I was ready to leave. It was like, literally my applications were out. My resumes were going out to schools. And I was, I was at the point where I wasn't making a lot of money as a trainer and I was not enjoying it anymore. Those same middle-aged women that came to CrossFit were driving me crazy. Yeah. And it was like an hour of therapy. It wasn't an hour of training. And then I find CrossFit through my buddy, Chad, who I'm you know, forever grateful for because some random day at jujitsu practice, he shows me a muscle and fitness article and says, have you heard of this CrossFit thing? And I grabbed the magazine, you know, went home, typed in CrossFit.com and started the next day. Yeah. But I, I just thought it was a solution to not leaving the fitness industry yet. I thought, okay, well, if I can train my group of women in one class versus eight hours a day yep. and charge them a little less, so they're spending less, but I'm actually making more per hour and it's way more enjoyable, then I can do this longer. Yep. It's when, when, isn't it? Yeah. And turns out, you know, they loved it. And, you know, for me, it was just right place, right time, yep. you know, right on that cusp of, Explore. You know, it took a couple of years. It wasn't for, I mean, we were successful right away. And, and a lot of that was just because I kept my overhead so low. Yeah. But it wasn't until probably 2000, probably like 2009, 10, where I was like, this is a legit business. Like I'm doing some things now I need to do, you know, I need to have an HR handbook. I have employees yeah. I need to figure out, you know, how to give them benefits, all of those things. And it's one of those things, it, it sounded as if you loved it anyway, but one of the one of the great themes that you guys always hammer home is, is having box owners get over this feeling of it's, it's, it's a bad thing to make money from, from doing this. Did you, when you were right at the beginning of that kind of journey, was the money and was the making a living, did that come second even back then because you loved it? Or were you like, no, it's okay to, to enjoy it and actually put food on the table you know when i first opened it was if i can make you know thirty six thousand. i remember that was kind of like my goal like i was like if i can make thirty six thousand dollars a year i'll be pretty happy yeah three thousand a month in 2007 it was like i knew what my rent was you know it wasn't a lot of money but it was just like this will keep me moving forward because i was probably making about that but i was running myself ragged yeah. not just on the clients i was bouncing around to multiple gyms teaching and i was it was just not enjoyable teaching kickboxing teaching pilates like i hated it i was burned out so it wasn't a matter of i don't want to make more it was just like i didn't think it was possible at the time and i remember probably probably so i opened in the fall of 2007 within a year I expanded. So it was probably around that point. I'm like, well, I'm making like money, like good money. You know, I probably was making close to six figures within two years. And I never dreamed of doing that. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I graduated in 2000, 
all my friends left college and went to New York City. A lot of them got into finance and they were making crazy money for, for 21 year old, 22 year old kids. And I was, you know, living in downtown Albany. My car was getting broken into on a regular basis. I was renting a basement apartment for like $400, taking my girlfriend to Subway for dinner, you know, and living the dream, living the dream, you know, but to me it was, it was like, okay, but I'm doing fitness. Like those guys, I remember having to remind myself, like they're going, they're commuting. I remember one of my buddies had like a two hour commute each way. Wow. To New York city. Yeah. That's not that abnormal in, in Manhattan. And I was like, all right, I'm not doing that. Like I'm waking up and I'm teaching spin. Yeah. It's six in the morning, but at least I'm working out. Yep. And no, so I never dreamed, you know, 10 years later and now 20 years later that I would be the most successful of the bunch. And I never gave up on my passion for, you know, I never wavered on that dream, which I'm, you know, it's probably one of my proudest achievements, even though it's not really an achievement, but just that I never, I never quit. For sure it is. I mean, I don't think, I think people probably underestimate seeing something through but also having the the fortitude to to stick to it maybe when the short-term success of others maybe makes you doubt the long-term the long-term goal um how did how did you get into fitness then if you go way back obviously you've got a lot of uh a lot of experience i don't want to say decades because it might make you just feel a little bit too yeah, old but yeah, sure. you know 25 years plus experience how did you what was it that attracted you back then to the, the world of fitness? It was wrestling. So I, I, I grew up wrestling, you know, around middle school, I got involved. And I remember after my freshman year in high school, I just got beat up every day. I made, you know, I was on varsity as a freshman, not because I was good, but because I was the only one that can fulfill the lightest weight class, 91 pounds, like okay. whatever, 40 kilos for you guys. Um, and, I'm, and I remember I was like, if I want to be better at this, I need to get stronger. So I convinced my mom to join the local gym and I just fell in love with working out, got better at wrestling, which was important to me. And then every off season just trained and trained. And by the time I was a senior in high school, so 1995, 1996, there was a program that allowed you to leave an intern you had to qualify for it. It was a pretty, it was a, only like 10 of us in the entire school got to do it. And I was one of them. And I interned at that same gym. Okay. And I was like, I get to work out instead of going to class. I get to train people. I was learning how to do body fat and VO2 max and all that cool stuff. And again, it was never like, this is my dream. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. I went to college and I was like, I'm going to get a real job one day. And like I said, continued on to the masters, but just, never fell out of love with what I was doing at the gym. And throughout my four years of college, I always, I worked at every gym in town. I remember when I got hired by Gold's Gym for $8 an hour. I was like, this is it. Like, this is the coolest I've thing ever. It. Yeah, I've made it. I'm, I work for Gold's Gym. Yeah. Know, you know, I was working for some manager that, you know, probably hadn't graduated high school. I was, you know, knew more than them about fitness and everything. But, be, you know, that's just the way it was structured. Yeah. But it just continued on. It was like, okay, I'm, like I said, I'm just going to keep delaying this real job. And then, you know, always kind of made 
just enough. It's like that CrossFit workout where it's like, if you finish in under three minutes, you get to do another round. Yep. That was like my life. Like, okay, I survived another year. I remember like the girl I was living with at the time, we got like a decent apartment in one of those complexes in the suburb. Like we moved out of downtown up mostly yep. because of her. She had a great state job, you know, but we were, I was driving a, you know, in 1980, like my grandma's Ford Taurus. So, you know, and luckily I just didn't care about that stuff. Yeah. Which so I guess, just, yeah. Which I guess gives you the freedom to actually do what you enjoy instead of feeling like you're a slave to a paycheck. Yeah, that was accidental. I okay. certainly wanted more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, now I don't. Now I try to live as minimalistic as possible. Yeah. And, um, but then I probably did want more. I just couldn't afford it and was like, okay, this is, this is fine. Subway, you know, get yeah. whatever you want on the Subway menu. Absolutely. And then, I mean, let's jump straight into the CrossFit stuff then, because that's, I guess that's where, where you're at now and where so many people are at now. Um, what do you think it was about the evolution of the sport that, that just captivated people back then, continues to captive? And it wasn't even that, I, I'm saying this as if it was 60 years ago, but it's exploded so quickly and it's evolved so quickly that it does feel like it happened a lifetime ago. Does it feel like that to you? Yeah, 2007 feels like a different life for me. And I think part of that was is because I'm just a very different person. You yeah. know, you asked about earlier what was what was different and a lot of it was the the coaches and the boxers were different. We weren't only getting those types of people, the military and the athletes because that's who was finding it, but it was because that's who we were accepting. Yeah. yeah. Meaning if you were an average Joe and you came in and you weren't ready to commit to five times a week and the paleo diet, we probably didn't make it very easy for you at wow, first. Okay. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then you realize, okay, these people help pay your bills. You can eat whatever you want. You can do yoga. And, you know, you think bigger picture, like as long as they're having fun, you know, hence the term best hour of their day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago. And I think that's something the newer people, especially with all that went down last year, fail to recognize is that this is still in its infancy. Like if this were Ford, cars would be breaking down left and right 12 years into, you know, there would yeah. be a horse yeah. and buggy. Like we're not, we don't have an engine yet. You know, so I think we forget that because we're, and that's simply because I think the people that love CrossFit are just so passionate about it and, you know, they want the best for it, not realizing, okay, it's going to take some time. And I think right now we're going to just see it take off. I mean, you mentioned, obviously you, you get a lot of people coming from the military. Is that be just because of the, the kind of structure to it um, what you have to put in to, to the workouts, to commit to the sort of the lifestyle of it all? Or is there something a bit deeper? Is it just a coincidence or is there a deeper reason why there is that close affinity with people? So, I mean, from the UK and the US and whatever, I seem to find that there's a lot of crossover. I think originally it's because Coach Glassman really pushed it to the military. If you look back on a lot of the old videos, they were, you know, he was he was preaching to the military. He had quite a few military employees coming into the box and and the very first seminar ever was at a police base okay in jacksonville florida 
So I think that's part of it. And then I think in addition to that, it was, you know, this kind of dirty underground thing where those in the military, you know, that have been deployed, not, I've never, I wasn't ever in the military, but I can imagine like you're deployed in, you know, Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and you're working out on sand. You're like, okay, this warehouse is a lot cleaner and there's no guns being shot at me. You know, I, they were probably just early adopters in that. And it made sense for them. You know, you think about Murph and the other hero workouts, they were workouts you can do anywhere, you know, pull up bar being the only requirement, but a lot, you know, I think really that's where it stemmed from CrossFit push that. And the simplicity of it as well, I guess, um, the whole, uh, there's something refreshing about it not being one of these like glossy, not that you don't get nice boxes, but um, the attraction, I think, for newcomers, speaking from personal experiences, you know, it does what it says in the thing. You walk in, the barbells are always an attraction. The pull-up bars are always an attraction. Can you run? Yep, you can run. So, so jump in. And the simplicity of it seems to be something that just grips people for some reason. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's simple, not easy. You don't, you know, from working out to owning a box, it's really just, you know, it's it's not challenging to get started. Yeah. To do it well, it is. You know, whether that's your workout or, like I said, being a, an affiliate owner. And which is clearly a huge part of of your business model now and part of your journey. Um, what were the lessons? They, they must be countless. But what were the lessons that you learned from the boxes that you owned, and why did you? decide not to own boxes anymore if you I, I am i'm assuming you're not a box owner anymore i, I technically have an affiliate name okay. but i don't have an open box but I, I don't i've not decided not to open a box or ever be an affiliate owner again it's just not happening at the moment i would okay. certainly do it again right place yep right you know just i've been since selling the boxes which part of the reason i sold them was so i can have that flexibility and live wherever I'd like, I've bounced yeah. you know, to two different states and in multiple, you know, places to live. So I think that's really it. But the, the lessons, like you said, are countless. I, I couldn't be, you know, we don't have enough time to go over all of them. But I think that the biggest lesson, like I alluded to earlier, was the idea that it's not about you as a coach, it's about your members. And yeah. if you want to either run it, really, if you want to run a successful box, and ultimately want to impact the most people, you have to be welcoming to the most people. So for me, that lesson was one of empathy and, you know, showing people, you know, you can do this and, you know, you can do it your way. And if it's not fun for you, if it isn't the best hour of your day, doesn't matter how smart I am, you're not going to come back. Yeah. That, that, that was really the, you know, you know, I have a book out there with 30 lessons in it, all of, all from box ownership. But, the, you know, the, the overlying theme of that book is empathy. Yep. And I guess it takes when the sport is so new, when the, you know, the, the ecosystem of all is so new, people don't always recognize the opportunities that, that might be there. Um, and I guess... Did you just see that there was a gap there to help people to, to make them become better coaches? Could you recognize pretty quickly that this is a it's a burgeoning uh, sector, but people could do it better. People could 
just actually learn from your lessons, uh, both of your lessons, and and try and be better coaches, try and give a bit more to the people that are paying the money. Yeah, I don't think I learned that at first. And I think part of that was I just never really compared my box to any other boxes. I just, I was at the forefront where I lived, upstate New York, to own three boxes there. And I was kind of the leader in the area. So okay. I think it was other boxes that are catching up to me. That, not to say I couldn't have done it better, but to some extent it was, I was ignorant to like, yep. okay, I'm doing well. Not thinking, okay, I'm doing well. What could I do to continue to grow? What could I do to be better? Now, you know, years later with our company and with our coaching, you realize, yeah, the best boxes are going to be chasing that. Yep. That idea of, you know, how do I make this better? What can, what can I be working on? What can I do to grow? What can I do to stand out from the other 14,000 boxes around the world? Yeah. Where at first it was, we've got equipment, we've got a good schedule, we've got coaches. That's really all you need. Now you realize every box has that. Yep. And I guess the podcast is just one facet of what you guys do. Um, when you look at affiliate university, just talk to me about how quickly that that has that that's grown and just taken hold of, of people that are just you know clearly have a desire to succeed at what they're doing in this space. Yeah, like I said, we launched a podcast. I think we launched our first episode April of 2018, and then we launched Affiliate University November of 2020. So okay. you know, full blown pandemic happening, right? You know, we have boxes in. Europe that are shut down through March in Switzerland, in Germany, uh, in Ireland that aren't open, but we opened, we, we capped how many people we would accept at 24. We sold it out. And, you know, what's unique about those people are they realize we need coaching coaches need coaches. Yep. And we, you know, we have out of those 24, there's one or two that, you know, they had to take a loan out to pay us. And then there's one or two that were like, we have so much money, no brainer. But we, we both of those were like, we need to grow. And yep. we had conversations with boxes. You know, we do consultation calls. And we had a few hard conversations where we said, look, it doesn't have to be us. There's other affiliate coaching out there. But we're telling you, if you don't go down one of those paths, you're, you should shut your gym down. Like you don't have a business. You're yeah. losing, you've been losing money for three years. You're not paying yourself. You're crying right now on this phone call. Like there's no shame in failing at a business. Yep. I failed at other businesses, just not CrossFit businesses. And, you know, I think, like I said, what's unique is if you, if, if you own a box and you don't have a coach and it, like I said, it doesn't have to be us. There's other great coaches out there. I don't think you're going to, be one of the best boxes out there. And I certainly don't think you're going to reach your potential. And that, you know, Fern and I knew we'd be successful. I don't think we realized how successful we'd be, not just from a business standpoint. Yes, we did really well in our opening and now we're accepting more boxes, but more so in the, out of the 24 boxes, I would say at least 75% of them at this point, we're, you know, we're in February. So six weeks into their coaching, already made their money back yeah you know and we don't guarantee that i'd like to guarantee it Fern doesn't want to um and it, he's right because 
you have to put in the work. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like nutrition. I know this will work for you, but only if you do it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's not to say the box that haven't made their money back aren't putting in the work, but they just might not be at the point, you know, like I said, in, in Ireland, we're not having them send out rate increases while their members aren't coming in or, or some of the boxes were already making a ton of money and that wasn't their goal. It was, how do we develop our coaches better? Yeah. We have a full section on coaches development. So, you know, we're, we're mostly just proud that the boxes are successful. We look forward to our phone calls with them because it's, you know, every Monday we have a group call where they go over the wins and it's, it's really just amazing to, to be a part of it, to know that no different than someone listening. That's a coach knowing, Hey, I helped that person get their first pull up or PR their deadlift. It's nice for us to, my favorite thing is just to see the, the box owners that were kind of getting burned out where I was. And they're like, I love coming here again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you, when you say there's no shame in failing, do you think, uh, you know, sometimes people maybe own sports clubs or franchises can fall in the same trap. Do people who own boxes, just because they love doing the sport doesn't make them a good business person, do you feel like the emotion can sometimes drag people down where it would be easier to admit, I need help here, but the emotion of, I love CrossFit and I can't let this fail is a factor for people? Yeah, I don't even know if it's I love CrossFit. It's just like, I opened this thing, I need to do it. Okay. And at some point, you have to accept you're doing it bad. You're not doing a good job at it. And that doesn't necessarily, this person, you know, I have one person in particular that I really think of. She owned her box. It had been open three years. She had never paid herself. And I said to her, like, she's like, I just love this. Like, well, I guess like you're saying, like, I just love coaching. And I said, here's what you do. You shut your box down and you go to the box down the road and say, Hey, I have my level two. I'd love to coach for you. At least you're getting paid. Yeah. Right. She wasn't paying herself for coaching. She was trying on this call. She had a part-time job to pay her bills. This was in November. We launched her, you know, she began in December this past January, you know, we're recording this on the third I don't know, February. I don't know when you'll put it out. But January, she paid herself $3,000 and quit her part-time job. Wow. So, you know, that was it. And I remember telling her, like, there's no shame in shutting down. Like, it's like a relationship. Like, sometimes they don't work. Yeah. But what's worse is, like, being in a bad relationship and hanging on to it, you know, because of the kids or because it'll get better or whatever it is. And it's like, no, I mean, yes, I fully think you should. I'm not saying just quit you know, things get hard, quit. But I'm saying if you've truly given it your all, you know, no different than in a relationship, go see a therapist, go talk it out. The box owner, get a coach. That's your therapist. Yeah, don't be blind to the warning signs. You know, face up to it. Yeah, and 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 put your ego aside. Like sometimes shutting down is the best thing you can do. If I wouldn't have sold my boxes, I wouldn't be doing this now. Yeah. If I wouldn't have sold my boxes, we wouldn't have moved you know, all over the country and had all these other great opportunities. It's not just because you're shutting one door doesn't mean you, you know, I think it's that connotation of you failed or you quit. Yeah. How long did it take Jason for people to, um, I guess if they're walking through the door or signing up, there's already an element of, of trust there and some sort of a, of a relationship. Um, did you feel immediately that people that were coming to you, once you put it out there, what you wanted to do, because of your experience, 
um, people immediately had that trust that, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. These guys can help us. Or did you almost, did you have to sell the idea of why they needed you? No, like I said, that was the benefit of the podcast. I mean, we, we opened affiliate you and we sold it out. We had to shut down our calls and we're open again, but we just wanted to make sure just like a box that we're providing the experience and value that we're promising. Yeah. So that was really important to us. And no, like I said, we had, you know, two, 3000 loyal listeners. We probably had 40 or 50 consultation calls and we capped it and we sold out the, the people that haven't joined were either, you know, maybe we'll sign up later. We had a handful, put a deposit down to sign up later. So it was one of those things like we talked about at the beginning where you just have to start and put it out there. And yep. for two plus years, we recorded, you know, for hours every week without making any money. And, you know, now it's paid off. Yep. I mean, one of the themes that I want this podcast to um, to focus on is, is the legacy of whatever people choose to do. And you clearly have many, many years left in doing what you're doing. But do you already feel as if you have some sort of a of a legacy to look back on from the point of view of, okay, you've got 3,000 subscribers, you've helped X amount of people to turn a profit or turn around a business. Um, when you've got an industry and a sport that has so much growth left in it, you must feel as if the work that you've done already has been massively important. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I don't think I'm the most well-known person in the CrossFit ecosystem, nor do I need or want to be. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think, you know, when you think about legacy, I think you somewhat think about when you've passed away and yeah, I think, you know, A, with a book, you kind of live on forever. Like, if I passed away tomorrow, my book's still on Amazon. Hopefully, yeah. people you know, maybe <laughs> will see a little boost in sales. My wife can benefit from that. Um, I think when I, when I consider legacy, though, I think about things like that woman I was talking about or the yeah. coach that reaches out to me. And when they coach or when they show up at their box, I had a little bit of impact in their success. You know, because even... Back when I opened, like I said, the hand, uh, there's someone I reference regularly. His name is Jerry Hill, who owned a box in Virginia, one of the first boxes in Virginia. And I think about him to this day, and he probably doesn't even realize it or know that I mentioned him. When I see him at the games or just in passing, you know, we, we chat. But, yeah. you know, he, had an, he made my life easier and helped me become more successful when I opened. And I hope that other, you know, if I were to pass away tomorrow, all the boxes that we worked with, maybe some of them wouldn't have stayed open if not for us. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably overlook legacy. And one of the things that uh, I've learned over the last couple of years is that you can still appreciate your legacy even when you're doing it. It shouldn't it shouldn't be something that you feel as if, oh yeah, I have to be gone and buried before people appreciate or can look back and, on what you've done. And I think it's important to probably do that when you are making a difference to people's lives. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that is something we should consider more often. And it probably helps you make your decisions every day because yeah. you know you're wanting to move in that direction. So just, I mean, I don't want to make it all CrossFit topical and, and stuff like that. But when you look back to everything that's happened over the last 12 years, you know, COVID and obviously the 
you know, the the difficult times, the controversy that kind of engulfed the the sport and the the business. What was that like for you as someone who had sort of been there from from the ground, from the floor up? It was hard. You know, not so much COVID. I mean, obviously that's hard for everyone, but yeah. the, the pandemic and the box shutting down, you know, that that was a struggle for, you know, knowing my friends were being impacted and they were struggling. And I had many friends whose boxes shut down that didn't survive. The, the whole thing with Coach Glassman was challenging because he's definitely someone I still to this day realized had a tremendous impact on my life. Yes, my buddy Chad showed me CrossFit, but without Coach Glassman starting it, I would not have been a part of it. And, and I've, I've had conversations with him where I've said, you know, if, if not for you, I would have, you know, left this industry. I yeah. wouldn't have impacted this person. I wouldn't have met my wife. You know, I wouldn't have made my best friends in this world. And now I wouldn't have had this business. So it was definitely hard to see what he did you know he hurt a lot of people but it was also to some extent a struggle to see what he was going through you know i think it obviously what he said was offensive to many and you know insensitive do i think he meant that no i know you know i can't say with 100 percent certainty he's you know, not racist. I, you know, I don't know what happens behind his closed doors, but I can only say I've only ever had positive interactions with him. And, you know, like for someone that's had such a direct impact on your life, it, it was, it was hard to see. Now, you know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen, yeah. but you know, it was definitely, you know, it's, I, I would consider him a friend and it was, it's hard to see any friend go through that no matter deserve it or not. It must have been difficult as well because it's a really it's a it's an intimate sport compared to basketball or American football or soccer where everything this conversation is an example of it. everything's a bit more accessible. You can reach out to people who are connected within the industry and within the sport, and it's still, um, I guess, cozy enough that you've got the opportunity to do that. Whereas maybe in other sports and other industries. You couldn't do that. And it must have been difficult to hear the opinions of the entire CrossFit world, literally across the world, who, who, who didn't... I don't know the context. Most people probably don't know the ins and the outs. You just make up your opinion based on what you're hearing. So for someone whose life and, is, and, and whose business is centred around this, it must have been difficult when everybody has an opinion, even if it only lasted a week, two weeks, until it all calmed down or whatever it was. But it must have been, it must have been a worry that the thing that you loved was being kind of engulfed in this storm. Yeah, and what's funny is, I don't think you know Fern and I were. I primarily spoke to Fern. I have a couple other friends that we spoke a lot about it, but mostly with Fern. And it was never a concern about what would happen to CrossFit. Yeah. We always knew CrossFit would survive and make it through any of these difficulties. But it was definitely strange to see, I mean, my mom reaching out to me, you know, with like sending me every news article about it. And, you know, it's, you know, your friends that had never done CrossFit, you know, what's going on with this? The the founder's racist and he said this and that. So it was definitely unique. But like I said, we were never worried about it. it you know, anything 
these days. Everyone has an yeah. opinion. Everyone has social media. They can. I think the thing that frustrated me the most during it were the affiliates that made the rash decision to deaffiliate. And yeah. we spoke about that on the podcast. It was, you know, I think primarily for the reason of let's not pretend you're not doing CrossFit. You don't want to support Coach Glassman because of what he said, fine, stop doing CrossFit. Yeah. But if you're going to do CrossFit, if you're going to do constantly varied functional movements at high intensity, pay your affiliate dues, keep the name CrossFit, you know, make a statement publicly if you want, which a lot of boxes did, but they were just jumping, you know, out of this burning building. And I think, I think the reason I was so frustrated with it was not just that, like I said, you're doing CrossFit, but more so you're abandoning this without knowing the full story. Yeah. None of us knew that the tweet went out and all of a sudden, you know, we hate this guy. And also, you know, just without putting any, if you're a business owner, put a little more thought behind it. That was, that was really the bigger thing, you know, and, and you're, like I said, abandoning this person that I'm not the only one that would say any, any box owner, anyone that owns a CrossFit affiliate has to accept that coach Glassman had a positive impact on their lives. And I get it. You know, if you don't want to support him anymore, that's fine, but then change your model, change yeah. what you're doing. But if you're going to do CrossFit, you know, pay your affiliate fees. Okay, that's just dealt with the, the politics of all. Um, in terms of the future for you guys, Jason, in, in fact, before we go to the future, how did uh, you and Jason number two, or is he number one? Who's number one and who's number two? Or are you on an equal? I, don't, I think everybody would agree I'm number one. <laughs> oh, hold on, he's just dialing in. I'm not joking. Um, how did you guys actually get in tour with each other? Well, we're both on the CrossFit seminar staff. And, okay. You know, I don't think either of us remember the first time we met. It's not like one of those, you know, yeah. romantic love stories. But uh, I, I can tell you we liked each other, at least from the beginning. We got along. I know I can remember a seminar we worked way back in probably 2013 in Boston. You know, and I remember getting along. And then I think we've just kind of over the years gone to know each other and it was you know we had worked a seminar around the time we started the podcast and you know said hey this would be interesting to do but you know we, i remember you know spending time with him at the games at some summits we just always whenever there was a mass group he and i would gravitate towards each other which is funny because we're so different yeah so different but um is that why it works though kind of oil and water i, I think that's exactly why yeah. it works yeah we, i you know, was posting yesterday about it because we have people ask us all the time on both ends like how do you guys get along i'm sure for him it's like how do you get along with ackerman he's you know always all over the place he's joking around and then with Fern, it's like he's you know grumpy his politics etc and i think that's why we balance each other out like i said yeah. i would guarantee you make your money back Fern doesn't want to do that yeah. and i think you know i gave uh, an acronym yesterday tara t-a-r-a of tolerance acceptance respect appreciation and i think that's what it is i think yep. you know we tolerate it. and i think part of it is knowing i think most people fail when they're like i feel this way about him but he probably doesn't feel this way about me because i'm perfect where i'm like whatever i'm feeling about him he's feeling about me yeah right and you forget that like yep. he's tolerating me yep. there are things i do that drive him crazy he's accepting me he's 
treats me, you know, we goof around, but all, you know, behind closed doors, when we have like real deal conversations, they're always respectful. Even when we're angry, we never yeah. yell. And, you know, ultimately I appreciate that about him because I know without him, we wouldn't have this business. I could have tried to do it without him. It wouldn't be what it is. Today. Yeah. And where are you guys like geographically? Are you, are you close to each other or are you in a whole different states or? I would say, no, no, we're, he's in Virginia. I'm in Colorado. Okay. So we've not seen each other in person. We did a dropping in series in November of 19. Okay. Where we went to 10 boxes in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's on our YouTube channel. I think, you know, outside of that, I mean, we launched a massively successful business virtually, right? And I would say since the podcast, we've probably seen each other for a total of 10 days in person. That's insane. Well, and, you know, like we kicked off with, you know, this is the times we live in. Yeah. And you can either, you know, get crushed by them or thrive with them. Yep. And, you know, I get it. Like, this is terrible. People are getting sick and, you know, certainly not making light of that, but, but it is a choice of how you react to it. Completely. I mean, we literally opened a business while gyms are shut down. You know, I don't think anyone would have been like, Hey, it's a good time to open a consulting business for gyms, but we did it. And I think it goes back to what we've said from the beginning. If you do things for the right reasons, for the right people, you'll be successful. And was that always the plan anyway? Was that always coming? It doesn't really sound like it's been impacted too much by the reality of, of COVID because of just the, the business model, but was always it, it was always coming down the line, I guess. Forgive me if I've got the timeline slightly wrong. I mean, we, we launched the podcast, and like I said, I don't think we knew exactly what we wanted. I think what we wanted was some sort of coach's development. We yep. did a couple of things along the way, and you know, I still run a coach's development course virtually myself but we, we kind of knew we wanted to do this but it was just like okay it was really one of those things where it was boxes need this every time yeah. we put out a podcast episode people were reaching out asking us more questions and and we thought to ourselves we you know boxes need this you know and it was a lot of work I mean, we have a 24-week course out there you know, online group calls. I've got calls every day, Furnace calls every day, but it was worth it to us. I mean, there's yeah. nothing more enjoyable for me. I gave up a lot of other opportunities to really focus on this and, and I'm, I enjoy it every day. What do, you, what, what do you prefer, coaching or coaching the coaches? Coaching the coaches. Yeah. I think it's 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 nice because you know, you're actually impacting more people. So I might be talking to one person, but I know they're talking to a hundred. Yeah. You know, and like I said, if that, that's kind of your legacy, those, you know, the coach you worked with knows and the other hundred people might not, but you've still made their life better. hundred percent. So in terms of the future, what does the future look like for you guys? Cause you strike me as someone that, you you might come across as a, a little bit scatty, but you uh, you strike me as someone who's very well organized and has a clear goal in his mind. Scatty, just because my dog was <laughs> making a mess in my office, and I had to go give him a bath mid episode. Uh, you know, this is one of the first times in my life where 
I'm solely focused on one endeavor. And I think, I don't think, you know, I'm someone who doesn't look back on things and think you made a mistake, especially when you have such positive outcomes from them. But this is the first time where it's like, this is it. I focus on affiliate you every day. It's nice to wake up knowing everything I do. How am I driving this forward? So the goal is just to grow. You know, my, my goal for 2021 is to work with a hundred affiliates. You know, we're over 30 at this point, including our launch. And we've got some other cool projects. We'll probably do a second season of dropping in where, you know, it's kind of like a, I don't know what show to, you know, I always compared it to like one of those like restaurant makeover shows. Yeah. You know, we show up at a box, we take a class. There's 10 episodes on our YouTube channel. If you Google best hour of their day dropping in, I'm sure you'll find it. But, you know, we want to do more of them, more of those. And then, like I said, just really push affiliate you forward. And then I'll probably write a book, something like that. I always, I always like having a book kind of on my computer screen. So I, I wrote my I've written three. The one that I really am most proud of is Best Hour of Their Day, the one I was yep. telling you about earlier. But I have a nutrition book and a journal with my wife. But I'm writing a book on on the what I call the four pillars of health, sleep, stress, fitness, and nutrition. So yep. I just like writing. So listen, if, without um, giving away too many trade secrets, if there was if there's one piece of advice, and I know that you cover this sort of stuff all the time and the uh, um, on the podcast, but for people looking to open a box or for people who have a box open already, is it just that one golden nugget that you would always go back to? I mean, my typical first piece of advice whenever someone asks is start small and get an account. But, so two pieces of advice. But if if I were going to dig in more to kind of what we preach at Affiliate U and or if a box is open, I would say it's, know what you sell. Yeah. I think too many boxes open and they're like, we do this, we do that. And it's like, know what you sell, be able to know what separates you from the box down the road. Every box you ask is going to tell you it's their community, it's their coaching and it's their programming. And if those are your responses, every time someone says what makes, you know, CrossFit Qatar unique versus yep. this box, you're the same as every other box. Yep. And the truth, you know, the truth is you're probably not great at it anyway. Every box thinks they have the best community. Like, oh, no, you don't get it. We're better. Like, that box thinks this is no different than what I was saying about Fern. Like, he thinks the same about me when I'm driving him crazy that I think about him. Yeah. And the same. So know what you sell. You know, is it, well, we have the these amazing locker rooms where we have showers and a sauna and a recovery room. You know, is it that we have classes every hour on the hour from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. You know, it it could be anything, but know what it is for yep. you and focus on that. No different, you know, part of my reason that I got narrow focused was I've read a book called Essentialism. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, but, I haven't. You know, I know. You know, between that book and a book called, there's probably, there's many books, but three that I would rattle off would be Essentialism, The One Thing, and Start With Why. And, and really all three of those are telling the same lesson of do what you love and focus on that one thing with, you know, such a extreme focus that you can't do anything else. Yep. And and too many box owners wind up getting pulled and, you know, like the old adage of like squirrel or shiny keys or laser, you know, and you're like chasing this. And I did it 
for so many years. And, you know, I'm going to offer gymnastics and I'm going to offer Olympic lifting and I'm going to offer mobility and yoga. And it's like, no, 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 no. Offer CrossFit yep. and crush it. Don't do anything else until those classes are so packed. You have to do something else or you're making so much money that you have to do something else. And then probably don't do that other thing. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, that, that would be kind of, you know, beyond just, hey, start small, keep your expenses low. That's the only reason I was able to survive in the beginning. You know, get a good accountant and then focus on what you're good at. Did you guys no take Did you guys take some heat for the sort of misunderstanding of that message about community? Yeah, but we don't care. Yeah, you, don't we're care. Right. you know, it's <laughs> like I, I you know, first of all, if you go on our Instagram, most people that are arguing arguing with us, they're arguing their own interpretation of what we're saying. Yeah. You know, no, you don't get it. We're not saying you don't have a great community. You probably do have a great community. We're just saying, so does everybody, so does everybody else. else. Yep. You know, and, and I think I'll put one up. When do you think this episode's going to go? Uh, I think so. Uh, probably the next, next Friday, Friday after next. I assume you're going to bump me ahead of Eber at this point. It's ahead. Such, uh, <laughs> I mean, who's Eber anyway? Um, <laughs> Buttery Bros, who are they? Yeah. So, um, you know, so like a week ago, if people are looking back on our Instagram, I said something like, if your community is that great, increase your rates. Yeah. If you're afraid of increasing your rates, if you're a box owner listening, your community is not that great. Because I go to a Starbucks that I don't care about. And if their coffee went up 50 cents, I would pay it. Yeah. Because I want coffee. Right. And it's no different. Like if, if you think increasing your rates five or ten dollars a person is going to destroy your business, you have zero community. I took my rates in like 2012. I had grandfathered in those people from the beginning. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't honor that anymore. Like yeah. I have this business I have to run. No one left because they were like, yeah, you you're providing so much value. You've changed our lives. We love it here. You know, so those same people that are claiming community as their selling point are the same people that are afraid to go from $120 to $145 or whatever yeah. that is. You know, they're already so, no, your community is not great. It's just that you're the cheapest box in town. You know, and like I said, maybe you have a great community. Maybe your rates are at the top of, you know, the, the sphere in, in your area, but every box has a great community. Yeah. Community is not unique at your box. Community is unique to CrossFit. All 15,000 affiliates have great communities. And, and throw on top of that, if someone new had never done CrossFit and they walk into your gym and you're like, we have this amazing community. You're going to meet friends. They're like, I want to work out. What do you like? I go to the gym to get away from people. Like yeah. I want to be on the elliptical with my head. So they, they don't understand. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't understand it until you understand it. If somebody walked in, I was like, by the way, see that person? They met their wife. Now they have kids here. See that person? You know, th their roommate lives here. They met here. That person, you know, we get it. The newer people don't get it, but yeah. they will very quickly. So we're not, that was the argument. People want to argue like you're saying that. Yeah. I'm like, no, you have a great you community. point. Exactly. And, you know, if you go back through, it's always that. It's always like, you're just trying to, it's, it's social media. Yeah. 100%. You know, they're just trolls like, 
we, and what's cool is we no longer have the time to deal with it. You know, so it's like when you did have do have the time, you're like, I'm fighting everybody. Now I'm like, I don't care. Like yeah. I'm too busy growing CrossFit affiliates to worry about your, you know, crappy one claiming community is their selling point. But when you're ready, we'll be here for you. So you're clearly doing something right. I like the things. So. I mean, yeah. hey, we're having a good time. We're paying our bills. Yep. You know, and we're we're helping people. I, I think. Yeah, I look forward to waking up in the morning, get to talk to people like you. Yeah, I think this is you know, if if you you know, I hate to be preachy, but I would encourage everyone, if you're not truly waking up, and you know, there are things I don't love doing every day, but you know, for the most part. You're, you have a very finite amount of time on this planet. I hope you're doing something you love. Well, that feels like a brilliant note to leave it on, Jason. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Legacy Pod. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, or share through word of mouth. See you in the next episode.